You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way. The Faithway. So if somebody feels like they want to get out of their comfort zone, actually a guy from Mexico, no for years, he said, he said, um, he sent me a Facebook, he says, you know, your church, I used to see all these people, what's going on? I said, no, they're there, they're hiding. They're on the sides. They're there, they're there. No, it's all good. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. All right, there you go. And I can see. I'll just preach at this section. How are you doing, Caleb? You doing all right? He's looking at me like, what are you doing up there? Anyway, happy Father's Day to everyone. And to, watch this one. I said this one when we were praying. It says, happy Father's Day to all the dads, but happy Father's Day to all the single moms that have to play both roles. So, you know, it's a different world we live in where, you know, families have to dual role and stuff. So we're going to get into something this morning. You know, I was praying about today's message and as Kathy mentioned, you know, we celebrate our Heavenly Father, first and foremost. And I want to talk to you about, you know, what is a biblical father? And I'm not, you know, try to go too deep on this one, but ladies, don't tune us out because you say, oh, he's going to talk to the man. No, we're talking to anybody that's involved in raising anybody. Um, so these principles are, are good, but primarily for the men and primarily for the you know, head of the household. But again, you know, if you're a single mom, you're raising kids without, then that's for you also, right? You become that person. You have to manage both roles, which is extremely difficult. So my hat's off to all the ladies that are doing this, or for that matter, that are you know, not as common, but there are men in a similar role, not as common. So if you would open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, And as you go there, let us pray over the word. Father, we just thank you this morning for the word. We thank you for where it will take us. We thank you, Father, that we will learn some things, that we will grow in some things, and that we will be bigger when we leave this place and we came in. We celebrate, Father, all the fathers, of course, our heavenly one first, but also all all of us down here, Lord, that had the privilege to raise children, the privilege to, to influence. So I just thank you that today we will listen, listen to the voice of the Spirit, and hopefully better ourselves as we leave this building. We believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a scripture. I'm just going to pull it right out. I'm not going to try to you know, read all the context because it was really kind of a sermon. But it's kind of inserted right in the middle of, of this disclosure in Acts 13. And this scripture always, you know, for years, really got my attention a lot. Because, and I'll, I'll expound as we go in. So they are making a mention to King David. And he makes a statement. He says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. Now, pay attention to the next statement because this idea that God testified concerning him. In other words, this is like an endorsement. God is testifying regarding this man. So we're going to study a little bit about David, a little bit about his character. And we're going to find out how do you get to that point. Because this is something to me that always... You know, I wanted to see, make sure or at least point myself. I don't know if you can make sure of ever doing it, but at least you can try. A man after my own heart. 
What does that even mean? What does it mean for somebody to be after the heart of God? And in this case, it was referring to David. Well, if you know the story of David, and I'm going to assume some of you don't, most of you probably do, and you know a lot of details, but you know, just on the assumption that somebody's watching online and they have, they're not familiar with the story of David, you know, I'm going to condense it. <laughs> I don't know how you condense the story of David within, you know, too tight, but I'll give you the kind of the nutshell or the summary of his life. So, so David was a young man, sheep herder, and there came a time, you've got to back up a little bit, you know, Israel wanted a king. God said, that's not a good idea, but we want a king, we want a king. And he kept saying, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, he said, okay, I'll give you a king. So, you know, we gave him Saul. That turned out pretty weird. So as Saul was going into the dark, because he, re- he went into dark things, like really dark things, um, you know, God calls Samuel and says, you know, we need to anoint the next king. So he goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse had all these sons. And, you know, one of the youngest, if not the youngest one, one of the youngest one was David. And um, he said, go to the house of Jesse and anoint the next king. Well, Jesse's all excited, so he brings all his kids out outside, right? He said, here they are, Samuel, and Samuel's walking down the line. You know, you know, and I don't know if you guys know the term, I'm not feeling it, but spiritually there's something like that, right? And, you know, Samuel's walking down the line, says, okay, who's the king, who's the king, who's the king? And, and he goes down the whole bunch of them, and he looks at Jesse, the dad says, uh, I don't know, man, either I miss God or you miss God, something's off. He said, do you have any more children? And I, I like the feel of the conversation. He goes, well, there's David. <laughs> like, oh, there's David. You know that one guy and you're, like, you don't want to be related to him? Anybody that, like, when they say, es tu primo. No, creo que es como de primo de aquella. You know, you don't, you don't really want to be related to that guy because he was kind of, you know, weird. He was out there with a the sheep. He was a musician. That's the problem to start right there. So he's out there playing his harp or whatever they play. And so they call him, right? So, you know, he comes in with all his... You can imagine what he smelled like, you know, and he's, and he was kind of different then because the Bible says, it gives the idea that he, that he had like reddish hair. So, you know, that's not very common, especially for Middle Eastern men. They called, called it ruddy, which was kind of reddish something. Anyway, he was different. So they say, well, there's David. So they bring David in and, Je- and Samuel says, that's the king. And then he makes a little statement. I said, a long story of David. This is like the, the principle he says, Man does not look on the appearance. This is really the beginning of that. This is in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16. He says, man does not look upon the appearance of men, and this should help some of you stop judging people. God looks upon the heart. Amen? You know, people get all hung up on how people look or their appearance or whatever. You've got to care less, man. He's, you know, he's looking at your heart. So David is appointed. Now, he doesn't become king immediately. Then a series of events start. Now, he's, he's anointed. He's, he will be the king. Well, you know, fast forward a little bit. There's a situation, and there's a war. I guess it's a lot of time to condense the whole story of, of David. But he gets, he's supposed to take food to his brothers, which are at a battle, and they're at a stalemate. And he shows up, and, you know, he's taking food, and his brothers mock him. What are you doing here? You just want to watch the show? You want to watch us get killed? What, you know, what are you doing here? No, I'm just writing you guys some sandwiches, basically. But then he hears this guy, Goliath, mocking God. And that bothered him because, you know, when he's out there tending to sheep by himself and in Monte, you know, he's, he's hanging out with God. And he's like, whoa, 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 you know. And then he makes his little statement. Like, this is a 16-year-old boy. You talk about the way generations have changed. And he makes a statement. He says, you know, I killed a lion and a bear. And he recognized I killed him by the hand of God. And this guy, he's just a bigger target, basically. So, you know, long story, he kills a giant. Well, 
people say, you know, who made David king? Well, God made him king, but the one that promoted him was Goliath, right? And once he wiped out Goliath, he became a celebrity. Well, things go, Saul got mad, Saul tries to kill him. Um, David had an opportunity to kill Saul. I mean, if somebody's trying to kill you, and I guess I'll be hyper-spiritual, but if you know somebody is out to get rid of your life, come on, people, most of you probably would say, primero tú y luego yo, right? <laughs> you're not going to wait till somebody takes you out. You know, you're going to deal with it. And he has an opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't kill him. It shows integrity and shows respect and honor to the king's positions. He says, you know what? He deserves to die because he's here to kill me. I mean, they were actually looking to kill him. Pay attention. And they ended up at a cave. What are the chances of this? And Saul goes into the cave to rest. And guess who's in the back of the dark, dark corner of the cave? David. And he's just very quiet. And Saul rests. He goes to sleep. And David comes up. And with his knife, cuts a little bit of his robe off. Just to say, I could have killed you. But he didn't. So all these things that I'm telling you, you know, I'm not just telling you a story. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of building into this. Because we are going to find out, what is, you know, what is a man after God's heart? Or what is a father after God's heart? You know, what, does it, what does it mean? So David, you know, he has this opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't. So we fast forward a little bit. Now, he, now he's king, Saul's. And a lot of events happen in his life that are very tragic. And when people talk about, you know, the Christian life, I mean, an example of, of, of victory is David's life. You know, he went through a lot of things, a lot of them self-induced, you know, say. Most of them were self-induced. You know, God didn't put anything on him. But, you know, he becomes king. A little bit of pride moves in. He makes some really bad decisions, which included committing adultery and having the guy that he, the husband of the wife, killed so his sin would be covered. And, of course, Samuel calls him out. Or, I mean, Samuel, Nathaniel, I'm sorry to forget all my prophets mixed up. And, you know, after that, he repents, but he pays a heavy price. Now, he's got kids that are dying. He's got a baby, young, young boy that d- did not survive which was a product of that affair. And then later on, he has another son that rebelled against him and tried to kill him, and at the end was killed by his men. So he had two of his children killed. Um, I mean, one dead of a disease, the other one killed. And, and you think about the life of David, and he made, you know, and you go through his victories, and he had a very close friend named Jonathan. And Jonathan, which was the, the, the son of Saul, was very, they were very close. They were covenant brothers. You know, I, I know kind of the feelings. I had a really, really close friend of mine. I would call him a brother, and he passed away during COVID, and it just, you know, I'm still not over it. And Jonathan dies, and Jonathan's killed. And, you know, he goes back, and, and this is, the, I'm, I'm just talking about the heart of David. He goes back and looks for the descendants. I mean, is there anybody out there connected to, to these people? And he finds one that, you know, basically he's a handicapped person. He says, you know what, because even though that side of the family tried to kill me, but because my covenant... With your family, I'll take care of you. And he picks up this basically homeless person and takes him to his palace because he was related to the family to try to kill him. You know, and, and all these things about the story of David, because here's what I want you to understand. How do you go, you know, how do you end up in the book of Acts and God makes a statement about you that has that idea? He doesn't bring up anything else. He just says, you know what? There's somebody that I have found after my own heart. And then you're like, Lord, wait a minute. This guy had people murdered? He committed adultery? I mean, this guy made a lot of mistakes. But here's what the difference between somebody that has the heart of God and somebody that doesn't have the heart of God. Because David, you know, all of us aren't perfect, and all of us, you know, don't, don't judge David, don't judge anybody, because we're all open to everything. You never know where you're going to get hit. 
But there are some characteristics that I hope you know after you leave this service this morning, men and women, so ladies, don't tune us off, because all these things will build your character, will make you a better parent, will make you a better husband, will make you a better wife. And I just pulled out a few. I could probably do like a series on this, but I said this is not a serious message. This is just one message, and you know, next week we got a pastor from Cuba, which my name is Yoel, but it's not Yoel, it's Silva. All, I think there's, there's, they don't have a lot of names down there to pick from, so they just you know, we just got all the Yoels. So he'll be here. But I know him. He's a, he's a good guy. I met him a long time ago. But we did a conference at his church. That's where we did the Jerry Savelle meeting, actually. Anyway, so when I come back, we'll start. So this is a one message. I don't want to, there's no dragging this into next week. So I'm going to kind of list some of these things that I have found. And you kind of just look at it because, you know, at the end, I think when we get to heaven, I think all of us hopefully are looking for a basic, maybe this endorsement, or at least the idea that God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, that's pretty much the goal. So let's kind of, you know, pick through this. And I want to, before, before I go through this, go open your Bibles to Proverbs 22. And as you go there, I want to tell you why this is very important, because this is some of the thoughts that I want to add to the message. If you guys look, and I do, I spend a lot of time looking at, you know, the, the social constructs of, of, you know, and there's a term I heard, Yesterday, which I found very interesting, it came from the Ugandan president. So, Pastor, what do you research? All kinds of crazy stuff. And they were trying to say, how come you're not, a, you're not, how come you're not embracing the westernized lifestyle? In other words, a craziness. And he, and his very simple explanation. But he said a statement, and this is what you and all your kids, and this is why the, the idea of a father, or if you're a single mom, the idea of a strong single mom that understands this is so vital for your kids. You know, and he's basically saying, he says, we don't have to adopt your ways, you know. But he said this, he says, there is social, what he, the word was, and I like the word, he said, social imperialism. I'm like, wow, that's a big word. And what he is saying, it was very interesting, that, 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 you know, a very small amount of people have created this narrative that we're all living with now. And they are forcing it. So, so it's like imperialism, it's like they're going to social, like you have to be this way. You have to agree with our lifestyle. You have to say, this is okay. Well, guess what? It's not okay. Amen. And as a parent, this is why these principles, you're, the, the biggest teacher, the most important teacher your kids have is you. And if you think the school's going to teach them morals and values, you're wrong. Not even in our protected South Texas world where we're still not in the crazies. Well, at least not that I know. We don't have any furries yet, are we? Do we, do we have like, people that think, kids that think there are cats in the classroom? You know, crazy, insane stuff. And, and these kids are looking at this, and who is going to tell them? Because the Bible says that one of the things that God would teach us to his people. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to give you reference to anything, but he said it. I will teach my people the difference between good and evil. Right now, those lines are blurred. Very blurred. You know, people say, if, if you know, you're, you're careful, you say something, you know, it could be considered hate speech or whatever because you just don't agree with a lifestyle. And here's the thing, you know, and I've said this many times, and you as a believer have to have, understand where compassion and acceptance comes in. You know, you can be whatever you want to. I respect that. You can believe you're whatever you want to. You can pick whatever gender you want to be. Man, I totally respect you. But don't expect me to agree with it. Because, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm not going to agree with a social construct 
that is destroying the family. Because this is about family. If you look at the world, it just so you know the Ugandan president said, because they were trying to say, well, if you don't accept these norms, you know, what if the United States pulls out? And this is super interesting of, of helping you. He says, well, you know, if America decides that, you know, they will not help us because we don't accept that, we'll just have to. He said, he said, we have lots of land. I love this guy. We have lots of land. We don't need America. In other words, we don't accept none of that. You know, we're not going to embrace all this transgenderism, all this crazy, because that just not, doesn't work in our society. These are African people that have no context of this. Their tribes don't have, you know, it's nothing in there. So, and, I, and the reason I'm spending time on this is because as a parent, you know, you got to, there's that balance, like, say, hey, that's not right. But at the same time, we're not judging people. You know, we're not here to criticize you or condemn you. You know, if you want to come to, please come to church. But at the end of the day, there is right and there is wrong. And it's up to the parent and it's up to the dad to build these things. You know, and, and again, I'm giving you guys just little building blocks not to start debates, not to go criticize people or, or try to start a fight, but you've you got to think some of these ideas that are, that are coming across the pipe, especially with a, this whole movement with the transgenderism or whatever you want to call it. And again, I'm trying to keep this very, no, no joking, no mocking about it, but just simple ideas that people are trying, you know, or if you want to call it social imperialism, whatever the guy called it, which is such a great term. And you begin to think, what, as a child, think about your children. I think, of, for example, Caleb. Hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, what, are they, what kind of world are they going to move into where, where the lines are, by the time he grows up, are the lines completely blurred out where you, can, you don't know what a woman is, you don't know what a man is? Church, y'all still here? Because if we don't, you know, it, we're not against whatever they want to be, but we still have our idea to build our foundations on what God taught us. You know, yesterday I did a quinceañera, and I, it was a very short message, but I talked to, you know, and I said one of the things you have to do is it's called responsibility. And it, and, it, and it says, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to embrace these ideas. I can, you know, if you want to be a tree today, that's fine. You want to be a dog tomorrow? Bow wow, right? <laughs> but I'm not going to, don't force me to pick your pronouns. Because till I go to see Jesus, you're either a he or a her. And nothing else. There's no 15 of you in you. Well, maybe they are. They're called demons. We can cast those out. So, with these ideas, I was thinking of something. And here, I'm, I'm going to shut this point down because I'm worrying. We've got to get to the outline. We're going to talk about all these points. But think about this. When people begin to, to argue, let's eliminate, not eliminate, but let's just, let's just approach it from a complete scientific. This is where, this is where they're, the evolution is. They're, they're trying to figure how this one fits into their ideas. So let's just play with this idea. I was thinking about this other day. Imagine an island that has everything you will ever need to survive. And in this island... You know, you basically don't have to, you know, there's food, there's everything you need. We're going to put two men, and we're going to put ten women on that island. And then there was going to be another island next door, which has everything you need to survive, all the food you will ever need, and we're going to put two men and ten transgender women. And we're going to come back 120 years later, and we're going to find something. We're going to find, on this island, you're going to find a society that is functioning. You know, if I had little kids, old people, because 120, you know, that's basically two generations. Because these 10 women and two men now created a society and kids and, you know, and everybody and whatever. So 120 years later, you got little towns, you got things, everything's there. And it's thriving. And kids are laughing and crying and, you know, doing what.
How cool is that? You just say, hey, so explain to me, evolutionist, how does it work? How does it work when society stops producing people? How does it work? So it doesn't match their narrative anyway. So anyway, I'll just give you info. But here's the point. As a parent, you need to address these things. Because your kids, when they go to their world, oh, it's okay. You can be whatever you want to. No, it's not okay. We are, it's our job to say, this is the way it is. And then, you know, question, what happens if one of your kids or one of your grandkids goes, you know what, I still love them. I will love them to the end. And I will embrace them. But I will make clear, I love you. But I don't agree with that. And I cannot stop loving you, but I don't have to agree with that. And you're welcome to my home, and you're welcome to, but I just don't have to agree with it. Okay, can we cool with that? So let's not bring it up. In other words, you're wrong, I'm right, let's leave it at that, okay? <laughs> so, right? You don't want to go there. I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, I've talked to homosexuals. I've talk, you know, I don't have a problem. I really don't. I just am saying that whole system, if, you know, if, if it's their thing, that's fine. Just don't try to bring it into my life and force it into some kind of acceptance over my children's life. That's my only point. And for that, you need character. As a parent, you need character to be able to stand up right, you know, in a righteous way against these things. So let's, let's go into say, what caused David to end up in a good place with God? I mean, he made enough mistakes where God said, you know what, dude, <laughs> we need a different king. Well, let me just throw another character out there. How about Abraham? I was actually going to use Abraham, but, but then I picked David. Because Abraham was another guy. I mean, God shows up with Abraham, let's make a deal. And then it, <laughs> we're friends, friends. And then what does he do? He does about the same stuff that David did. You know, he had a kid with a maid. He lied about this. He, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of it. You know what? And God still used him. So I'm trying to set you free this morning. God is not about perfection. Somebody, all the perfect people don't say amen, I know, but God is not about perfection. Amen. Well, half of them are perfect, Lord, so we don't have that much work to do then. All right, let's, let's just knock these out. There's just a few. Like I said, we could have picked up 15 different characters. But these are some that I want you to look for in your life. So, you know, we talk a lot about this shirt, so I'm not going to upset. So one thing that I found in the life of David was humility. When he gets called out, the prophet comes back and tells him a story. He doesn't even come and says, there was a thing. He says, what would you do? And he says, oh, that, and he says, that's you, David. When he gets called out on his sin, pay attention to this, he didn't run from it. He didn't, you know, he tried to deny it right at the front end, but then at the end he said, there's no way, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm lying to God and the prophet, there's no way. He accepted, pay attention, he accepted the wrong, but then he pointed himself to right. And to do that, you have to be extremely humble. In other words, the, the, because pride, you know, the Bible says pride always comes before a fall. So if you want to search what is a man after God's heart, it's a man, and when I use man, you know, woman, but it's a man that understands that without the God influence, he will fail. And even when he fails, he knows he has to run back to the God influence. That is humility because your pride is removed. And you're down to the place of brokenness where you say, you know, I I got nothing left. I'm either going to run to God or I'm going to go to hell, basically. And I don't mean like, you know, cussing hell. I mean, if I separate myself from that, I have nothing else. So humility, and this is, you know, just a couple of scriptures, like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time on each point, but humility is the fear of the Lord. And the word fear is Old English for the highest level of honor. Not, not oh, I'm scared of you, God. No. It's the highest level of honor you could have to somebody. And it says humility is, is the fear of the Lord. And listen, it says, it wage, it's wages. In other words, the fruit of humility will be riches and honor. So check your heart this morning. Are you, do you consider yourself a humble person? 
And listen to what James 4, 6, and we talked about this a few, like a couple months ago. It says, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, ready? God opposes the proud. You got to get rid of pride. You want to be a person after God's heart, you got to get rid of pride. Narcissism, everything's about me, all about me, ba 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 ba. You know, if that's you, you, you got work to do. Because humility says God opposes that. Well, I don't, you know, it's already hard enough out there without having God opposing you. <laughs> Come on. But he shows favor to people that are humble. And humility is, you know, I did a whole series on this a while back, but humility is just that. It's accepting, basically, Lord, help. I made a mistake. So when you mess up, which you will, hopefully not as bad as David. Hope you don't have somebody killed. Hello? Some of you are like, I was thinking about it. Come on, man. Hopefully you're not that guy, but, you know, all of us have made dumb things. And you'll probably make some dumb mistakes this week, and I will too. And we'll probably say some dumb things, and we'll probably get mad at somebody, and we'll, we'll be in the flesh. I know you guys look super hyper-spiritual this morning, but some of us aren't as spiritual as you are. But you know what? Humility doesn't separate me from God. Humility drives me to God. Arrogance and pride, because when you mess up, don't you love it, like, especially with modern generations? How about, I don't know, let's just cut a little poll. All the X generations, were you guys raised in the way that, like in my life, I was raised where there wasn't really like a lot of room for excuses. Right? I mean, it was like black and white. Nowadays, it's like a whole encyclopedia of the reasons of why you didn't do what you had to do and blah, 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 blah. No, it was, you know? And, and now we see generations that are like all about excuse and I can't do that. No, no. Humility is accepting your mistakes. And making an effort to correct them. Humility is accepting that you don't have it all together. Humility is accepting that without God, you you can't do this thing. How about this one? Humility is accepting that without your family, without your children, you can't do this thing. Because you need them. Come on, man, you need them. I had an interesting conversation last weekend. You know, we took took some days off. We just just had to get out of Dodge, as they say. We went down to South Padre and... We're there with the kids, and they have a little the hotel we stayed or the whatever, not a hotel, them condos. They had like a bar up the pool. No, we weren't drinking. Don't get it. To, but I was getting the kids the virgin daiquiris. I started to get them like a real one because they were hyped up. But anyway, <laughs> see if you guys were listening. And, you know, we're just buying this stuff. And, and I got talking to the bartender, and this guy, looked, he looked like an old sailor all beat up. And, and his, this is what... You know, you're just talking, and we're talking back and forth, and I'm telling you, like, what are you doing here? I'm here with my grandkids. And, then he, and then almost like it's a badge of honor, he says, I don't have nobody. And I'm listening. He said, um, I have two ex-wives. I have no kids, no pets. And I'm good. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm kind of just playing along. So that sounds good, brother. I have my grandkids, and they're like my whole life. And that was probably the end of the conversation. Went back to and then I got thinking about this guy, and, and I kind of felt like compassion for him because I think you know he was probably maybe a little older than me. He looked way more beat up than me, trust me. But he probably wasn't that much older. And I'm thinking, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, who's going to be there? Who's going to fill your house with laughter? And how about 30 years when you're like on a deathbed? Who's going to be around? That's a sad place, guys. Family is precious. Think about that. I mean, I really have to, I didn't feel bad about the guy. But, you know, he was probably, he didn't have nothing. He, didn't, it was, he wasn't accountable to nobody or nothing. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. But at the end of your life, you're going to wish 
there was somebody there that you could call family. Come on, man, you need to fight for your family. And the first thing you've got to accept is humility. You've you got to accept, I can't do this without direction from God. You, you're not going to win this thing. Everything out there is designed to destroy your family. Every, I'm telling you, look, I mean, if you don't believe me, I just gave you a whole explanation about, you know, the movement, the woke movement. Do you notice in the woke movement there's nothing about building families? Everything's about craziness. There's nothing about, hey, let's talk about husband, wife, and kids, you know? No, it's about something else. So humility is that idea. It's not poverty. It's not I'm, you know, I'm a lower person. It's just in the eyes of God. And guess what? And in the eyes of other people, I will try to remain humble. You know, real power, people that are powerful have real humility. Because the ones that don't have humility will, will cause destruction to them. So you say, well, I don't have a lot of power. Yeah, but if you don't deal with that idea of arrogance and pride, you will create a path of destruction within your house, within your family, within whatever. You want to sing, buddy? I'm about to carry him. We go way back, almost like a year ago, right, Caleb? Number two. I know you guys won't like this one. Obedience. Oh, we, do we have to talk about that, Pastor? Well, maybe we should. Number two, RJ, you can flip it. Obedience. First Samuel 15.22. Oh, I forgot a scripture I had. Um, yeah, wait, wait, there. that was actually from the other one. Don't, don't, don't go forward. This one's really good. The father of godly children has causes for joy. What pleasure to have children who are wise. This is the end of it. Sorry, I missed that point. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. And guess what? Wisdom will come from humility. Humble people are some of the wisest people because humble people think things through. They don't just explode. But listen to this. What is the, and I said this, I think, last week or a couple weeks ago. We, did our, we finished our family series. And I said this. I said, what is the greatest thing you can teach your children? What is the greatest thing you can give them? A career, an inheritance, a bunch of money in the bank, a trust fund? Yeah, I mean, that's all nice. But the greatest thing you can give them, the greatest thing is teach them how to think. Teach them how to be wise. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. You know, you can bring them to church. Yeah, please make them spiritual. But if you don't teach your kids to think, somebody will. And somebody will eat their brain and their thought process, and they'll think some crazy stuff. So thinking is, you know, this idea. Humility is the father that, that has that idea also says, you know, I have one responsibility. Over, I have, you know, I created a life. Think about something. You know, parents, think about this idea. You guys created a human. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, I can't stand them. Well, you should have thought about it because they're annoying and they, you know, they need all kinds of care. But the idea that we have recreated life is like, wow, that's a pretty amazing idea. So now you have this huge responsibility, which is this one. You humbly teach your children how to think. And you, and you, and you play the scenarios out. And, you know, one of the things, of course, when they hit certain age, they think they know everything, right? But hopefully you've given enough foundation in them so they can make good decisions. And one of the things that I, that I always tell, and Caden hears it almost every day, teach your kids this. Teach your kids this idea. Because it goes with humility and wisdom. says, I trust you to make good decisions. Simple idea. I trust you. Know, every time, just build that into them. Hey, I trust you to make good decisions. Hey, can I go out with my friends? I trust you to make good decisions. You know, because now as, as they grow, guess what? They're thinking. But I'm talking little. You give them that idea when they're like four. And then you just reinforce it. And guess what? You, when you, they become teenagers, you won't have a crazy teenager. That's wisdom. And that is humility, because what pleasure it is to have children who are wise. Okay, let's go to the next point. Obedience. 
Now, this, you know, of course, the Bible is obedience, but what is really obedience? Is it obedience? Is it, is it a mandatory, you know, get up, you know, command, army, militarized idea, or is it something else? Okay, so let's, let's look at it. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, and this is, um, you know, he's, they're already dealing with some of the stuff that David's dealing. It says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? He's talking to David, right? He says, to, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Now, heed is to not only, you know, to act upon. Act upon. So obedience is not a stick on your head telling you behave. I mean, that's one form of it. Obedience is, this is what you need to do, but it doesn't become obedience until you act upon it. Does that make sense? And I think God presents everything that way. You know, let, let, me, let me help you with my, my basic understanding of this. When you accept Jesus Christ as your, you know, that decision that you say, Lord, I want you in my life, that, according to what I understand, that is the only qualification you, you need to be connected to God. Your behavior comes secondary. But, here, here's the big but, right? God does not need you to do anything to be saved at all. Just to say, I need a savior. His name is Yeshua. He's my Messiah. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. That, that's the Bible. Anyone call upon the name of the Lord, he will be saved, right? That's it. That's, that. that's the ticket to heaven. Now, what comes after that is really up to you wanting. This is where obedience becomes not a demand, but a desire. Now you don't, because before Jesus, if somebody told you don't do that, you would say, huh, why not? I want to do whatever I want to. That's fine. We all like that. We're all fine. But now Jesus has influenced your life, and he begins to influence it with suggestions. Thousands of them, hundreds. Every time you come to church, you'll hear, how many go to church, go home from church? Like, oh, okay, I got to work on that. Anybody? Or just me? Thank you for two honest people. I don't, what, what are the rest of you just hanging out here? You like it here on Sunday morning or what? I mean, no, you're here to get info. You're here to, like, go home and say, man, I need to stop kicking my dog, you know, or stuff like that. So what is obedience in the eyes of God? Is it a demand? No. You're you're going to heaven. It becomes a desire. And unless it becomes a desire, if, if it doesn't become a desire to obey God, then it becomes religion. And it becomes a yoke. Right? Don't do that. Like that old rock and roll song, don't drink, don't smoke, what do you do? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? No, you guys are too, way too young for those songs. No, that is not. I used, a, I used an example years ago, and it's, well, some people, somebody told me, says, you know what, Pastor? I remember that story you told me years ago. They don't remember anything else I said, but they remember a story about a dog named, nobody knows him? Ralph. You remember that dog? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Well, this is a story I made up to illustrate my point about what does obedience mean. So there's this dog named Ralph. I actually had a dog named Ralph. He was a lab, but he ran away, so I don't know what happened to Ralph. But he was a real dog, but he wasn't this dog because he was just stupid and nice to everybody. This dog is a mean dog. He's, he's mean. And everybody comes up, he'll attack and try to bite, and, you know, and he's just getting out of control. But, you know, his owner loves Ralph. And, you know, last week he bit the mailman and all that, so they're going to either have to make a decision. So he decides to get a muzzle, and they put it on him. Well... 
think, follow this analogy because this is really about this point. So now he's got a muzzle on and he doesn't bite anybody because what, the bite's still in him. The bite's still in him. Question, as a believer, are the things that we do for God a muzzle or are they desire? Because I think a lot of us, our, our, our Christian experience, if you're not careful, especially if it's saturated with religion, obedience becomes a yoke. Obedience becomes this, whew, and, and it never stops. That religious spirit will never be happy. They'll pull things out of context, out of the Bible, and women have to dress this way and this and that. And I mean, religion is so insane. Back in the day, and I'm talking, I'm doing this 30, days, 30 years, so back in the day, maybe 20 years ago, if you didn't wear a tie as a pastor, it's almost sacrilegious, and I hated ties, but I had to wear one, right? But there was fun. There was a church in Russia. Watch this, the religion is hilarious. That prohibited anybody wearing a tie. And i like, I like that church. But then I found out why. And it was so insanely hilarious. He says, because Judas hung himself, and it is not biblical for you to have anything around your neck. That is about how insane religion can go. But that whole church, nobody wore a tie because they believed if they wore a tie, they'd go to hell. So that kind of obedience is not what we're talking about. Right? That's a yoke. The obedience I'm talking about is a desire. So we'll flip the channel now. The desire for you to change will cause you to obey. Don't raise your hand because I know we've all tried and failed 10,000 times. How many of you tried to lose weight? Don't raise your hand. All the skinny people. I got this. I know some of y'all cheat. I'm not going to look. Did we fail? Thousands of times, right? So why are you, why are you putting yourself through this? Because there is an end result to your discipline. Are you following? I'm just using food because it's something we all can relate to. So when you understand that, then obedience doesn't become a yoke. Because if I'm saying, huh, you know, and there was when I was in my 30s, I really used to work out a lot. And I used to ride my bike like 20 miles back here on 1017. I was like into this. It took a lot of discipline. It took a lot of everything. It, you know, and, and sometimes you didn't feel like going to the gym. Sometimes you didn't feel like doing all these things. But you were obeying Follow the analogy, obeying because there was a positive end result in your life. That is the difference between religion. So, so David, you know, he, he's, he's faced with this idea because here's what people do. When we are challenged with something in our lives where we know that God is putting a demand of correction. Amen? When God is putting a, a demand of correction, he says, hey, don't talk to your wife like that. Hey, be a little more patient with your kids. That, that's, what, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Or you come to church, and then you hear, you're like, oh, man, I, Pastor read my mail. I hear that so much. Like if you guys even get mail anymore. Maybe your email. So obedience, you got to be careful that you don't say, well, God is placing something in my life to make me better. But then we reject it <laughs> because we say, well, you know, I don't think that's the best thing for me right now. Well, that's fine, you know, but, but God is trying to get you to obey because of the benefit. That's all obedience was. 
And what David was facing was, what Samuel was saying to David, because David was, there were a couple instances. There was one instance which was really, really good served David. They went, and that, boy, I can relate to this one. They went and fought these enemies. I'm telling you, the story of David is really exciting if you spend time, like, reading it and trying to find out. It's, you know, they went and fought, and so they had different fronts, if you can imagine a war. So they, you know, all the men went and fought this front, and they won. But then they came back, and what, what happened is when they came back, the enemies, I, was, well, I guess it was the Amalekites, if I get it right. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the Amalekites. They came in, it was, it was called a town called Siklag. And while David was gone, they took all the women, all the kids, all the, they took everything. There was nothing left. So David comes back, worn down. They won, but they're worn down, and guess what? They go home, and it's destroyed. Not only is it devastated, David is broke down, and these men, the Bible says David's mighty men, these guys were like insanely, these, I mean, you talk about special forces elite to the max. That's how the Bible described David's mighty men. These guys were like insane, you know, Green Beret level, whatever. They were so broken down because what they came in, their kids are gone, their wife is gone, everything, all their stuff is gone. And they're tired. Have you ever been that tired? And they're strong and they're fighting. I mean, these guys have seen everything, but when they see that, they begin to weep. They're just broken. And they begin to weep. And then, and then they pick a target. They're like, this is terrible. I just need vengeance. And then they look at David. Maybe we should kill him. I mean, all these people were super loyal to him. But now, think about David's heart. Not only did he, he's, he's a leader. He leads his people to battle. They When they come back, everything's devastated. These men have been fighting for him. These are the men that went and got water from the, in the middle of the night for David just to taste that fresh water. I mean, these guys were like insane. But they were so bothered, so hurt, so down, and so broken that they say, you know what, maybe the only way we can do this is just kill David, you know. And David knows, and David does something. This is, this is the heart of David. This is a man after God's heart. He doesn't cry. He doesn't run. He doesn't hide. He goes to the place of prayer. He said, they might kill me in a few minutes, but before I, they kill me, I'm going to humbly submit to see what God has to say. And that is really these ideas of obedience because, you know, back in the day, everything was about sacrifices. Give to God. Sins are forgiven. Give to God. Well, you're not careful. You play the modern church day and people start playing. Give money and they create all kinds of crazy, you know, witchcrafty ideas for you to give money. Now, you know, there's a place and you should support your church because if you don't support it, there won't be a church. That's how it works. But you don't want to play these crazy games that people are out there doing. Because here's the thing. God honors obedience over sacrifice. And here's where the weird thing is. A, a, a man, after, or a, let me just put that, a man or a woman after God's heart has to get to the point in their life where they do whatever God tells them to do for the love of him and him only. Leaders of my church, listen to me. That is the heart of Samuel. And I know we have some of the, I'm telling you, I'm so, I'm, all these years I've been, this is the greatest leadership team I've ever had, ever. I mean, everyone, I'm not going to, you know, they're just good. Everybody's just, it's, it's like in rhythm. But I see something, they can see they're not, you know, that is, is good to see. But if, you have, if you're not careful, then these things begin to interfere with this idea. Because everything is about this. You know, he starts to say, well, if I just give and I give and I, and I go to church and I've been, you know, I'm just giving my life to God. And then something bad happens in your life. What's the first thing you throw up? Why God? And then you bring the list, right? I could do that. Come on, I got 30 years serving God. There's stuff in my life that I wish wasn't in my life. Hello? 
But do I have a right to throw my fist to God? No. Well, I mean, I have a right, but I'm not going to do it. You do have a right, actually. You can do whatever you want to. You've got free will. But I'm not going to do that because I, I've settled that whatever I'm dealing with is not his problem. And maybe, you know, well, if he fixes, you know, that, that's, that's a whole different conversation. I'm just saying, I've already decided this. That whatever God asks me to do, even my attitude towards you or to ministry or to him is about, do I make a choice to obey? I don't have to obey, but do I make a choice? Because I can give to God and I can give my time to God and I can give my money to God and I can give my talents to God and I can BBS and everything else we do around here. But make sure you never throw that up as a badge or as a card of why am I not getting something. Because you just broke you, you, this one, the previous point, the humility one's gone, the obedience one is gone. Because sacrifice is nice. Sacrifice is called seed, and, the, and you know I believe brings harvest. That's the Bible teaches. But obedience is better. In other words, not obedience because you have to, but obedience of somebody that's acting upon a suggestion. A man after God's heart, even when he messes up still has an ear to him. Think about David. I mean, he's pretty messing up. I mean, I'm talking st- this second story. You deal with, you know, you talk about, you know, another, another story of David's heart. My God, this guy, you know, my hat's off to him because he went through some stuff. Now, again, self-inflicted. But if you read the story of when his, when his son dies, a young one, that is so tragic. And he's, you know, he's there and he's praying and he's trying to get this thing done. And he's beating himself, you know, and he's t- doing it. And then I guess he takes a break, and, and somebody comes in and says, hey, your son died. You know what he does? He immediately throws all the clothes of mourning off. He washes his face. He dusts himself off, basically says, okay, he's with God now. Let's go. That was the end of it. And I'm like, dude, that is a man after one's heart. I mean, he just, he sat there and through this very tragic thing in his life, but at the end of his life, he didn't reject God. He washed himself off. And you can read the story. People were amazed because they expected him to go kill himself. He said, no. He said, I can't go where he is, and he can't come where I am. In other words, he knew his son wasn't dead. This is, you know, that character to me is like, mm. how many people would have just, you know what, God, I'm done with you. Come on, church. Is there something in your life that is so big that you're like, if God doesn't answer that when I'm done with God? You know, I don't know. Is there? Maybe nobody even knows. Maybe you haven't been challenged that far. But my point is, and I'm spending way too much on this point, is obeying the Lord is better than sacrifice. But the word heed is really the connector. Because I don't want this point to be boom. The heed is God will suggest. The heed is take action. A man after one's heart or a woman after God's heart will, will be sensitive. Sensitive to those little promptings. And they go on all day about how you conduct your business, how you conduct this, how you conduct that. And God is saying, will you obey or not? Anyhow, hopefully you see the difference between a rigid obedience that you have to and a desire to. Amen? You guys are asleep. Come on, say amen, church. All right, next one. I kind of skipped one. All right. Psalm 51.17. It's the word repentance. Repentance. That's, That's, you know... If you're not careful, it becomes a big religious word also, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. So Psalm 51, 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. 
what does that even mean? So my sacrifice is, what is a broken spirit? You know, because, man, you get around some religious circles, especially um, when I first started doing ministry in Mexico. <laughs> oh, my Lord, we would go to some churches that were so, like, Pentecostal in a weird way. But, um, the, you know, the idea of repentance, you know, basically repentance says, I'm aware of something that I need to change. Think about it. Repentance is not about saying I'm sorry. It's, it's a whole different term. You know, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, all those things are not that. Repentance, the, the, the word really means turn direction. That's all it means. You know, I made a left... On 16, I'm headed to Freer, but I want to go to Zapata. Come on, church, this is really deep. What do I got to do? Oh, repent. In other words, I got to turn around. That's all it means. It's not a deep word. Repent. And people get down and cry and, you know, destroy their clothes. Oh, repenting. You, know. you go to this church and everybody would be crying. In Spanish, we call it lloración. And then they would yell. And I'm thinking, God's not deaf. I mean, if you really believe he's in you, because he's really close. And people would scream like, Ay, Señor! I don't know what my Señor! I'm like, dude, settle down. In other words, their idea of repentance was beating themselves up in some weird, like back in the Old Testament. Now, they don't have sackcloth and ashes and all that, but they're still operating under the sackcloth and ash idea. That's not what God was. He says, you know, so my sacrifice, God, is a bro- what is a broken spirit? Once again, it, it is that humility, but it is not, you know, and they, they love this term. You know, it just seems like in English I never, well, it's because I really haven't preached in American churches, that, like, you know, English churches. But in Mexico, this is a big term. I even had to talk to the Cubans about this because I wanted them to change their idea of this. Es que el Señor nos está quebrantando. ¿Cuántos los pentecostales dicen? Amén. No estás quebrantado, hermano. Dude, that sounds vicious. You're not broken enough? Well, let me break you some more. Oh, you still got a little pride? Mm, there's another one. I will not serve a God like that. I want a heavenly father, not a heavenly dictator. Are you here? You see, repentance is never about that. You know, I don't know how to, I'm trying to be really nice about this, but it's your choice. You don't have to repent about anything. That's the beauty of this thing. You have free will. Well, if I don't repent, will I go to hell? I don't know. I mean, there might be a gray area eventually <laughs> where you just finally reject God. I don't know how that works. I don't want to even dwell too deep into that. But Jesus did say, work out your salvation. He did say that. And he did say with fear and trembling. Fear is not like terror, but the fear was to be very aware. Work out, you know, work out your salvation with a real clear awareness of what salvation is. Well, hey, Cammy, How you doing? The whole crew is here. <laughs> you know they're raised, right? They don't care. They just walk in, talk to whoever they want to. Okay. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit. Think about that. What are you giving God? Well, I gave God $1,000 last month. I'm not sure why he hasn't. No, no, thank you for the 1000 We need that and much more. 
But God's not looking for that. That is just, you know, that's just part of what we do. And we all give, hopefully, and we, you know, we believe in our church and want to keep it running and all that kind of stuff. But God's not looking for that. He says, my sacrifice, oh God, what I'm going to give you, God, pay attention to this, because this is a man or a woman after God's own heart, is a person. I, is, that's the same point, Pastor. Not really. It is about humility, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it parallels humility. But it's a little deeper or a little different. My sacrifice... What I'm going to bring to the altar is, not just, is the most valuable thing I can present to you, God. But I'm honestly going to give it. I'm going to lay it on the altar. I'm not just going to play it, or I'm not going to just make the church thing I laid it on the altar. I'm going to lay on the altar my broken heart, my broken spirit. Because, come on, without God, think about why you even came to God. Think about why you're even here this morning. At some point in my, I'm speaking for myself, at some point in my life, I had a broken spirit. And there was nothing that no drugs could fill it, no running around could fill it. There was just something broken in there that had to get fixed. And the only thing that could fix it was him. So he, he fixed that, right? Come on, how many know that, 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 that experience where you feel like nothing's, you know, your world is over, and then Jesus comes, you're like, wow. Even, even though your world's still burning down, you have a whole different perspective. That was me. So the broken and contrite heart he will not despise. In other words, when you come to God, a, a, a man after God's heart will come to God in his brokenness and say, Lord, this is it, man. This is all I have. As messed up as it is, or as good as it is, or as whatever it is, there it is. If you can do that, you begin to flow in this. Because that repentance is not about saying, I'm sorry. And we already said, repentance is about a turnaround. So, you know, you're walking this way, and God is dealing with about things that you're doing, about your character, about what have you. And all of a sudden, you have this moment that you say, you know what, Lord? This is my pride. There. I present this as the offering. Tell me what to do. And at that point, he'll say, turn. That's what the turn causes. The repentance is the process of not only turning back to God, but in the process of turning, delivering the sacrifice. Do you see that? Because unless you deliver the sacrifice while you're turning to God, you're going to carry all that mess back in. You're not really going to get anywhere because you're still carrying all that pride or negativity or sin or condemnation, whatever you want. So repentance includes two actions. includes, yes, I need to change my ways. I know I'm not doing right, but as I'm changing, I'm going to take a moment right here, and I'm going to say, this is my sacrifice. All this messed up deal, all this stupid thing, all this path that I'm going, that's my sacrifice. And then you begin to walk. And, yeah, there'll be times, you know, nobody might not get down the first one. But because you, 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 that became important to you, you'll always come back to that moment. And even if you mess up 10,000 times, you will, remember the, you will remember the day you repented, and God will build on that little by little by little until you get rid of whatever you need to get rid of. That's just how it works, guys. This is not rocket science. So repentance is that. It's a process of turning back to God, but in the process, delivering the mess. Amen. Thank you, guys. Acts 3.19, it says, repent, or in other words, turn, and turn to God, but pay attention to what's coming, so that your sins may be what? Wiped out. He remembers your sins no more. How cool is that? You don't, you'll remember, and, and your friends will remember, ah, I remember when you used to do that, right? God doesn't remember any of that. But the cool one is the last one. Once you're there, and trust me, I, I, I've experienced it, I'm actually having to experience it, I don't say, how do you say, not force yourself, but you know, on purpose, walk myself into that. That the times of refreshing, 
may come from the Lord. This phrase, years ago, I, you know, I did a whole series that I actually stole from Jerry Savelle. I told Jerry that. I said, you, you preached something back in 1994, and it was so good, I preached it everywhere. And it was the idea of the word, you know, his, his, his title was from devastation to restoration. I'm not going to go down, but it was based around this idea. But, the, but refreshing, when you break that word refreshing down from the original context, from the Greek, and you remember Greek is kind of like, it paints pictures. We will, we will all relate to this in South Texas. It means recovering from the effects of heat. How many, how many can relate to that? Woo, you're working outside, you come in air conditioner. Oh, yeah. Recovering from the effects of heat. How hot has it been in your life lately? How, how many fires are raging currently in your life? Well, the idea is repent and turn to God. The process of saying, God, I can't figure this thing out, but I am going to walk back towards you. That is, the, that is my heart, and God has promised you two things. He will not hold you accountable to your sins, and hopefully there's a path to stop that, right? You're not just playing the grace card. You're actually trying to get something fixed. But then the times of refreshing. That, to me, is one of the most important things because we live in a world where life just keeps hitting you and hitting you and hitting you and hitting you, and then you're like, oh, I can't take one more. And God said, no, you can't. You need to come here in the cool. You need to get in the air conditioning a little bit. But it comes through the process of humility. It comes through the process of repentance. It comes through the process. All these things, God says, I know you're going through some fires, but here, cool off a little bit. Are you here? That's a man after God's heart. David went through all kinds of hellish fires, children dying, bad situations, losing wars. But somehow, he could always come back. Somehow, he never blamed God. How about that one? Somehow, he was able to, "Mm, I want to blame God, but I'm not. You ever been there? I want to throw my fists up to heaven, but I know that's not probably a good idea. All right. You guys are, I think I'm, either you guys are paying a lot of attention or you're bored. All right. We're We're almost done. We got two more. Let's go. Faithfulness. What does faithfulness mean? You're married. You better get this one. The Lord, back to Samuel, story of David, the Lord rewards everyone, not just some people, everyone, for two things, righteousness and faithfulness. That's pretty cool, right? Righteousness is just standing in the right place, you know, standing in the right position. In other words, what does righteousness mean? Okay, where would God stand on whatever, whatever you needed to stand on? Where would God stand? That's righteousness. But the other one is just faithfulness. So, so faithfulness, you know, of course, you find the rate, you know, you could break down the word, you know, read it backwards, full of faith, right? Well, what is faith? Well, something that you trust. And we could just keep breaking it down. But faithfulness is one of the, the things that, again, we see in modern society that I don't think, contextually speaking, my parents, the grand, my grandparents, it was a very, not not an alien concept, but a foreign concept was just get up and leave your marriage, right? That was like almost unheard of. Now, there was divorce and all that, but it was, and again, you guys heard something I said, I'm not going to go, you know, are all marriages made in heaven? No. Tell me more. Go find the podcast. It's all there. So faithfulness, you could also use the word steadfastness. In other words, You are standing on something that it doesn't matter what's going to come. You've already made the decision. You're not going to fall from there. 
Winds can come, they can throw rocks at you, they can even shoot, shoot at you. But you've already made one decision. I'm going, to take, I'm going to stand right here, and the only thing that's going to knock me off this rock is death. <laughs> Nothing else. Imagine if every marriage made that decision. Especially nowadays when people get married and get, you know, unmarried. And remarried and unmarried, remarried and unmarried. What is faithfulness? The Lord rewards every, everyone for righteousness. So this is a promise from God. Well, this Matthew 25, 21. There's a story where he says, well, you know, he's talking, what are we going to listen to? Now, this is a phrase. And Jesus is talking, says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. This is what's so cool about God. He doesn't, you know, he, he teaches you how to be faithful. I will put you in charge of many things. Faithfulness is a structure that you need to decide very quickly. Am I committed to whatever? Am I committed to my children? Am I committed to my family? Am I committed to my wife? Am I committed to my husband? Am I committed to my, you know, whatever you're committed to. How about your business? You have your own business? This is what will make your business prosper if you're faithful to it. It might take years, but if you keep punching it, one day you're going to, you know, it's going to come in. Because faithfulness is a decision, pay attention, a decision that you don't go back on. You burn your bridges, or I would say a decision of quality. In other words, a decision is so strong in your heart that whatever that decision is, you say, I'm not going back. And that should be your attitude towards your family, towards your spouse, you know, towards your God, towards a lot of things. And what I'm trying to get you to say is faithfulness is, is, is so important to decide it at the front end of your life. What are you faithful to? You know, when God called me into ministry, and this has been tested many times, different seasons in my life. When he called me to this, nothing made sense. You know, I didn't want to be here. I wanted to go to San Antonio. I wanted, you know, just everything. I didn't want to do any, you know, it just, it just kind of came together. But the one thing I decided at the front end of this, that's whatever God told me to do, I'm going to do it. Come hell or high water, whichever one comes first. And boy, I'm telling you, once you made that decision, you're committed to that. That's why we're still here after 30 years. Because if I hadn't made that decision, I would be on, and God knows it, my family knows it, my wife knows it, we would not be in church today. Because I've had many, and I would dare say justifiable reasons to not do this anymore. But I can't because I made a decision. I can't go back on it. Because if I go back on it, I break my own moral code. How about that one? That's new stuff, right? Because our generations, they have no idea what moral code is. They lie and tell you stuff they could care less. But there's stuff in my, in my being that, that, you know, if God gives me an exit, that's the exit, that's it, then I'll take it, and, you know, because it's still about obedience. You know, if God decides to bring a younger, better-looking, more dynamic pastor to Faithway, that's fine. I don't know where you're going to find a better-looking one, but I'm sure. Oh, that pride thing just kicked in. You see, faithfulness, if you're married and, and you believe that's a God thing, you're, you're there. What are you going to do? Well, I can't stand her anymore. Well, she can't stand you, sunshine, so what? Are you faithful to each other? Till death do us part or is it just till, till I can't stand you do us part? You see, faithfulness is, is once again, it's that decision of quality where you can't go back. And a person after God's heart is God wants you to make decisions based 
how can I put it, not just based on his influence, obviously based on his influence, but it really comes from your heart. You know, you're like, you know, make sure whatever decision God's telling you to do, you spend time about it because it has to be a righteous one. In other words, it has to be that decision to say, there is no way, you know, when, I, when we got married and when we were young and it was, ah, and, you know, butterflies and, you know, fast forward a few years, you should have thought that before you married her, I told you. Are you committed? Because when things get rough, or when things, I don't want you to get divorced. Da, 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 da. Failed marriage, all right? Well, what happens when you have a failed marriage? You have two failed humans. Because they're never going to get over it. I mean, they'll get over it, obviously, but it's not like, those are things you'll carry forever now, right? Because relationships are very sacred. Trust is a very, very sacred thing. Trust is one of the most sacred things that you have. That's why be careful. Don't just hand it off to anybody. Protect your trust. You know, I, I, you know, I don't just trust everybody. I'm a very trusty person. But my trust, for me to deliver to somebody 100%, is oof, very, 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 very difficult. But you have to trust your own ideas of this. Because once I decide I am faithful to God, Guess what? If every one of you did not show up to this morning, well, if, 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 if nobody showed up, we probably, I probably would have just gone home. But if one person showed up, I would still preach the same message. I would still go through the same thing. I wouldn't say, like, oh, where are the other? Because I'm, I'm committed to him. I'm not committed to you. But because I'm committed to him, now I'm committed to you. Because if I was committed to you guys, and I mean you as a general population of church folk, I would be done. Trust me, this is, you guys are difficult. But you're great. But I'm committed to him. And because that commitment, the faithfulness that I made with him, you can take it to the bank that unless there's a major issue, I will be here on Sunday. We're talking about, I was talking to it two years ago? We're still doing Laredo Church. This is one of my little badges of honor. In 30 years of ministry, I've missed, now officially I missed two services because of sickness. 30 years did not miss one Sunday, one Wednesday that was programmed, one convention, one mission strip, ever. Two times. One was a Wednesday night because a horse fell on me and my wife didn't let me go to church that day. Because my knee was like that. But I was going to church. Marcos, Marcos knows about that because he took me to back. Marcos. They had to cut it and drain it. I'm like, I'm going to church. And you might say, no, you're not. And the other one, I got dehydrated, remember? And actually, it was kind of a, that one is still cool because I called H.A. said, I'm not doing good. And, you know, as a doctor, he said, you're stupid, drink water. Okay. Now, he didn't say that. But I didn't come to church. But guess what? We did have church in Laredo that day. So I did make it to the Laredo church. So actually, I did end up going to church that day. One and a half. <laughs> I'm, this is not a bragging point. Trust me. The only reason I can do that, the only reason is because faithfulness. I, there's, guys, come on. Let's be honest. How many times do you think I don't want to come to church? A lot. Once a week. Usually on Sundays, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> but there's that little nagging thing called faithfulness that I planted in my heart that will never, unless I'm down on the bed burning up with fever or some crazy thing like that, I'm not missing because I'm committed. Is that your level of commitment? Let's break it down to your children? Is that your level of commitment to your spouse? You, got a, you want the last one? Not the last one, but a good one. Is that your level of commitment to your God? Is that your level of commitment to not only God, but to his work? 
Because you can't just be committed to God and not be committed to what he's doing, right? So think about faithfulness. You know, he will reward this. And again, the last one is, the little you're faithful, he will grow you. And one of the beautiful things about this is that he will give you the desires of your heart. And I can tell you stories. Okay, one more and we're done. This is, this is especially for the men. The women probably won't have it with this one. One of the things that David had in his heart was a very clear understanding of what worship was. Now, you guys get presented with music. Hopefully, we didn't do too bad. You know, we plow through some things sometimes. But is, is worship just singing songs so we, you know, kind of get the, the church ready for the message? Is it, is it deeper? Is it something else? Well, we know something about David. If, you know, if we know something about David, he was a worshiper. He didn't write all the book of Psalms, but he wrote a lot of the Psalms. And he was a singer, and he was a musician. But the thing is, he knew that if I could just honor God with my praise, if I could just figure this thing. Because, you know, some say, I had a, an atheist many years ago talking to him. says, you know, you guys serve this narcissistic God that all he wants is people to worship him. Isn't that kind of weird? He was saying, I said, well, it's not like that. It's not like, oh, God, you just, you know, let's just all bow because... It, it, it's not that. It's not like we're worshiping a tyrant or worshiping somebody that we're afraid is going to kill us. It is honor. So how do you relate to it, parents? If you're a parent or a grandparent, the feeling that your kid would come to you and just say, I love you, without <laughs> Jesus, without Asking for money or asking for something. I love you. Can I go out with my friends? You guys know the feeling, right? That's okay. I mean, that's what they do, right? That's what we all do. But what about that instance when your kid comes to you and just says, I love you, or your husband or your wife does something for you. It's not your birthday. It's not your anniversary. It's nothing. They just do it because they love you. That feeling. Is that, are you being narcissistic and arrogant and feeling bigger than that creature that just told you I love you? Or does it humble you? It humbles me. These kids are amazing. These kids are, I love you. They just all get all over me. You should say, I love that. Right, mamita. I love you, baby. Worship is exactly that. Worship is not, okay, let's bow. Great king, tyrant. No. It is the approach of his children telling him how much they love him for his involvement in their lives. And I think, Men have a greater problem with this than women because women are way more sensitive, you know, emotion, whatever. But men, we got to get to the point that we're not embarrassed to worship God. We got to get to the point, especially in the hard times of our lives, where things are really bad because that's what we learned from David. When things were really bad, he got the afat, he put the prayer shawl, his men are trying to kill him. He says, God, what do I do? He says, Go get your stuff. That's what God told him. He took it all off, and he went and got his stuff. But he was there in worship. He got the information in worship. He got the information when he just acknowledged God's existence. I'm getting goosebumps. Just, I'm already worshiping God because I'm acknowledging him. Acknowledge his existence. Come to him and say, Lord, I don't want to finish this day without letting you know that I'm glad you're in my life. I love you, Lord. That's worship. Now, we create songs, and we put instruments to it. That's beautiful. But worship starts way before any note is played. Amen. Worship starts before any music, before you even come to church. And the most powerful worship I've seen is when the darkest times. <laughs> you can sing joyful songs when everything's falling apart. 
You're going to you're going to plug into something. I'm telling you, you're going to plug into something very powerful. Psalm 100, verse 2, we're almost done, says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. In the same psalm, it says, You enter into his presence with thanksgiving. And then John 4, 23, this is a sermon in itself, so I will not expound too much. It says, Yet a time is coming and has now come. Now, he's explaining this to the woman at the well. Where the true worshipers, what is the true worshipers? Well, he tells you, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So spirit and truth just means it's coming from the right place. So I encourage you, especially men. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. We're, we're, we're almost done. Go ahead and stand. We'll close with this point. But I encourage, especially the men, you know, we, especially as Latinos or Mexicans, what do you want to call it? We, we have this persona, that, you know, we're tough, can't cry and all that. The older I get, I become like this mushy, mushy thing. And I don't like to cry in front of people because I'm so weird like that. But you know what? It is okay to cry in God's presence. It's okay to, to humble yourself. But I really encourage, man, break out. of not, so Why do I worship God? Well, just say, good morning, sir. <laughs> How about that? Because you guys are all tough, right? You don't want to say, I love you. That's awkward. Okay. Okay, man, don't raise your hand. But how many was it really awkward to say, I love you to your wife? It was awkward to me because I never heard it. You know, I had to train myself to say that. Because she says, you know how women are, I love you, I love you. You never tell me I love you. Well, I did. I told you like 10 years ago. I mean, it's still good, right? It's still, no. <laughs> we have to accept that we need some molding, and we have to accept that we need character. And all these little things, worship will humble you. Worship will soften your heart. Worship will show you it's things about God and presence that you've never experienced. Well, I could tell you stories about just sitting there with a guitar by myself and just Messing with them, and all of a sudden you just feel, you begin to feel that presence come in. You know, he, God honors that. Just like you as a parent enjoy your kids coming to you and embracing you, tell you, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mom. I love you. And you're just waiting for the hit, and they don't say nothing. They're like, oh, okay, you just love me today. All right, good. We don't, we don't have to give any cash. So that's what worship and praise is. That's a very condensed idea of it. Let's pray this morning. I, I believe God, hope to God, this message has impacted you in some form. So, Father, we just celebrate right now this day. As we celebrate Father's Day, we acknowledge, first and foremost, you, Abba, Father, our Heavenly Father. And, Lord, we come to you with that humble spirit. Come on, some of you, just don't listen. You don't even have to listen to my prayer. Just start humbling yourself before God right now. Lord, I humble myself, and, and I can't humble anybody. I humble myself. But we place before you this service, God, that, that we walk out of here with just basic ideas about humility basic ideas about faithfulness, basic ideas about commitment. That, Father, that David is such an example of a man that went through such difficult circumstances, but at the end he was always in step with you. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that I pray for all the men right now. I want all, the, all of you that are fathers, raise one hand to heaven, please. This is, this is just for the men. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're a single mom and you're raising your kids without a, a guy, raise your hand, please. So far, I got my eyes closed. I'm not looking around. This is just me. I want to bless you. I want to pray this to you. I, I really believe God's going to do some things in your heart. Just say, we don't have to do an altar call. There's nothing wrong with altar calls. I just feel this is important. Just raise one hand. If you're a dad, single mom, raising a family. Father, I pray right now for the head of households. Because there are women that are doing men's dad's role right now. So this prayer is for them. But I pray for all the men, Lord, that are here. All the men that... Father, maybe we were programmed, or maybe we didn't have the right example at home. Maybe nobody taught us what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a father. Maybe nobody showed us. 
And Father, today I pray that these principles are not just another cute little sermon for Sunday, but that they walk about thinking these things, that we can be faithful to our family, we can stay committed, Father, that we can worship you, and that, Father, we can walk in absolute humility before you. And Father, I just give you glory and praise that we hold a contrite and repented heart before you. And I pray for every man right now that needs to step up, that needs to step in, and Father, that maybe just needs a little extra anointing right now to to raise their family, to deal with family situations. But I pray for every father, I pray for every marriage that is under pressure right now to be separated or divorced, God. No, we pray, Lord, that you speak. You speak, but we celebrate, Lord, that you as our Heavenly Father have entrusted us not only to make families, but to lead them and to build them. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, as I pray for everyone here and all the men and all the people in the church all those watching us online, that we hold strong the battleground. We hold strong the lines for our family, for our marriages, that, Father, we get rid of any narcissistic and prideful thinking in our lives, God. And I just believe right now that every marriage, every family that is listening to this will succeed. I pray, Father, that we will look back years and and enjoy that we are men of God, that we are not perfect, but we are pointed. And, Father, I just bless everyone here. And I thank you right now for all the moms that are raising that have to do dual roles, Father. Come on, if you know somebody, just lift her up. You know, they might not be here. Just somebody, you know, like, man, they're they're, they're going through some kind. We pray for strength. We pray for wisdom. We pray for love and compassion. But also, Father, you will anoint them to lead their family properly. So I just thank you, Lord, that you make things better. You always make things better. I bless every marriage. I bless every child. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Well, do you think he deserves a hand clap, guys? Come on. I bet I'm going to close with you. Hey, how you doing, Cammie? See, this is what it's all about. You guys may be seated. I'm going to get you out real quick. So I was going to share something, but I'll just share it um, without opening the Bible. But I I was praying about it before we pick up this morning's offering. And I, I usually don't spend a lot of time. You guys know me. You know, there, there are biblical principles of giving and so forth and so on. And this church will never be a, a pressure church. You, you know, if you don't give a penny, you're welcome. <laughs> Come, please. But at the end of the day, you know, it is kind of like a, you know, back to the, to the, to the message, you know, if, if the church is producing life in you, kind of the reciprocal would be you produce life back, right? I mean, it's kind of that exchange. And that's really where the offerings and come. And there was a story in the Bible. Again, I don't want to read it because it's 1158. I'm going to get you out of here in three minutes at the most. And there was a guy named Tobias. And Nehemiah dealt with Tobias. And Tobias was a guy. He, wasn't even, he was just a guy. But the temple had been dismantled. And people weren't even going to church. The Levites had left. So basically, the church was abandoned. And they let Tobias, basically, they, they let him sleep in a room. But that room was a very special room. That room was where they kept the, the offerings and the food offerings. And Nehemiah got so mad that he came. And this is a funny story. You like that story? And he runs him out. And he kicks Tobiah and all his junk out. And he said, this is the house of the Lord. You want to preach too? You're right on my mic, dude. That's why you're loud. Let's get you on this side. <laughs> and, and here's the principle of that story. You don't want to abandon God's house in the area of giving. Because... It's funny, you know, as, as a pastor, I can tell you this. Back in 2008, we'll remember, back in 2008, um, we had a real estate crisis, stock market crash and all that. 
Are you going to let me finish this thing or not? Okay. He will. And funny things happen in church. People, a lot of people stopped giving because there was a crisis. But the people, nobody lost a job. And nobody lost their home either. We're not going to let me finish this, I guess. My point is, don't be Tobias. Um, make sure you hold the house of God in context. So anyhow, going back to what I want to close was, our finances went like 50%. And back then we were doing tons of stuff. Not that we're not doing tons of stuff now. but So, you know, it was, it was a mindset thing. Well, right now, I know everybody's pushing their pennies and everybody's pushing things. But here's the thing, and I, and I just use this, you know, it doesn't apply to everybody, but just play with this idea. If everybody... If everybody in the church, it's like a joke now, right? Gave the same amount that you give, like, average, would the church survive? That's just basically the question, you know? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, because I give, you know, what I'm supposed to. Others are like, ooh, you know, I don't think we can survive on five bucks. So, <laughs> anyway, um, just consider that. Consider that. You know, the house of God is honored. And, you know, summer's coming. Our electric bill is going to probably increase at least 30%. We have one AC unit that's down. I mean, there's all kinds of expense. So he said, what do they do with the money? <laughs> it goes everywhere. Hey? Anyway, go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm done. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Let's pray. And there's an envelope next to you. You guys know the drill. And those of you that are watching online, you're welcome to join us in giving also. So. Let's pray, Caleb. Ready? Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus for the service. I thank you for all the families gathered. We celebrate you. We sow this seed in love, and we thank you, Holy Spirit. We are blessed, and today will be a great day for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. God bless you guys. Give the Lord another hand clap. All right.